So what does a user experience designer do in a growth stage startup? So if you had many questions around how does their typical day look like? Do they use research in their work? Do they work with product managers? And do, does their work overlap with product managers? Then this episode is for you. In this episode we talk to Arjun Arun Kumar. Arjun Arun Kumar currently works with CP and leads the consumer apps for them. He has had previous stints in Ola and housing where he learned and honed his skills. This is the Hayavati podcast and I'm your host Madhuri, speaking and asking questions to many designers and product managers from Asia and around the world to grow and nurture design and product careers. Let's get started here. Hey Arjun, welcome to the Hayavati podcast. Thank you so much for being here and I'm so excited to get on started with this session. Oh, I've heard so much about this podcast. I've, I've been following this for a few months now and I'm so glad to be here. I'm uh, Before we begin, I just wanted to ask, where did you begin your journey and you have a professional degree in design. So how did it get started there? Uh, diploma. But yeah, like I wanted to be an animator when I was growing up. I used to watch a lot of uh, cartoons and like animated movies. And that's what got me into, you know, design college. My whole premise was to become an animator at that point. And then I s- sort of discovered, stumbled upon graphic design and brand design mainly. So started doing a lot of brand design work in college. I started specializing in graphic design. Also, I realized that I can't draw ever, <laughs> like in a way that uh, an animator should be able to draw. But I, al- I also discovered that I really like building things which are bigger than so campaigns and marketing and like brand building in general just like took me into this whole you know world of fun and so after that i you know got into a place in bombay called housing.com that was my first job for a company with a real estate portal and they've gone through a massive rebrand right so it was like a brand designer's playground i went there as a brand designer and it was a full playground and over time i realized that brand design is like there's a lot of pros and cons to it, right? But the problem is that you don't get to spend enough time with anything. It's day in, day out. You're churning out like, it's communication design, right? So you're just churning out collateral like left, right and center, which has a lifespan of like a day or two, right? And like, you know how we designers are, right? We're too attached to everything you make. So it really doesn't satisfy that part of your, your designer instinct. So, and in the meanwhile, I also realized that building something over time, like building something which actually drives your entire business, your products, right? That sort of, sort of intrigued me a lot. And by that time, I had enough context to know that there is this world worth exploring. So that's what kind of made me work towards product design. And then Ola happened and did a lot of fun in Ola. Had a had a ball there. That's where I did my... Uh, like started my career as like a product person and that was a fun place like a super place we did uh, a lot of impact driven projects so i really like understood that i'm an impact junkie and product design is perfect for an impact junkie right it's just like the best mix you get to have a massive impact you get to have a real real world use case and to top everything else ola was also a heavy in operations company right so there is a massive human algorithm so it keeps testing your uh, ability to empathize with different problems all the time and the boundaries are endless because 
the reach Ola has also uh, brings a really good set of diversity, right? It brings, I mean, it also brings like lack of sleep, like uh, buying way more, way more alcohol than you need and things like that. <laughs> but that's all said and done. Like the big high is the massive empathy related, uh, you know, uh, work you get to do. So that's, that was Ola. And I've been with Swiggy for the last two and a half years now, I guess. And it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Again, the same premise, massive growth, uh, massive reach, heavy on operations, right? So the kind of problems, uh, problem spaces are really nice. And there's three whole gambits of worlds you're looking at, which is like the consumer, then the delivery partners and our restaurant partners. So it's like three very, very different dynamics altogether. So it's been fun. This has been my journey so far. Thank you so much for sharing that. Given all the things that you do as a dean and day out as a UX lead, what is your usual day looking like, right? Like, what do you do day in and day out? Do you do research? Do you go through data? Do you go through documentation? What is your usual? Uh, I, go to the, I go to the pantry a lot, <laughs> right? <laughs> Those are good days, but our team is fairly... So I, I'm very... I'm heavily dependent on research and I try to do research as well, but I need like a core UX researcher always to drive that for me. This is like one luxury I got used to recently. The fact that I have really good researchers in Swiggy who work with us. Right? So I need these guys to drive it for me. A regular day for me basically starts with me just uh, working with my product managers, right? my product counterparts and my business counterparts. That way Swiggy is like heavily aligned and obsessed with making sure that people are constantly put together in the mix, right? There's always a lot of mind share happening. There's a lot of fluid flow. So amongst fights, there's also a lot of fun as well. So this is like a usual day. The problems are pretty big. So we spend a lot of time on a lot of problems which you want to solve. And that is why also why we need to make sure that there's a lot of mind share coming in from every group. I also work very closely with our marketing teams and uh, you know, try to try to keep keep getting a sense of the operations team. When I'm building a product, it's usually heavily with the product, the business, and the engineering teams. And I also do a lot of customer facing work. All my all my work is consumer facing. So there's a lot of brand angles which come into play as well. That's actually the baggage, the brand design baggage which I have. It's actually coming in very handy now, right? Because we get to drive a lot product teams and like companies uh, which are you know, which have small teams where everyone is aligning often, you get to drive a lot of these narratives together. So it's it's pretty fun. That actually makes sense. Uh-huh. I wonder how do you convince your stakeholder, you know, of particular features? As you mentioned, of course, there are fights. Like, how do you actually go through the process of convincing somebody that this is something that will lead uh, this product or this feature in a better direction? So actually, it's usually more of a show and tell, right? So I've realized that this is like what a designer brings to a table. So everyone has different agendas. Everyone in like that in a room will always have a different agenda. We have to empathize with that. Like your business counterpart is has an agenda of meeting some metrics. Your product counterpart has an agenda of, you know, completing something in a roadmap, making sure that something can get built. That's also your engineer, your marketing team also has a has a reach agenda. They have to meet metrics as well. They have to justify putting in a big chunk of money into things, right? 
But here's the advantage of you being a product designer. Your agenda is to think of the best thing for the user. Right? So your the way the means you used to do it is actually way more powerful than like an Excel sheet. Right? You have the means to actually prototype, you have the means to actually envision. Right? And you can really show and tell. So that is like my definition of putting your best foot forward, right? To make your best case, you have to do a lot of visioning. So that's how I try to convince my stakeholders at all fronts, right? Like you need to make sure. And you also realize that when you when you deep dive into the show and tell process, you also realize that you rapidly start understanding what's going on in their head as well. So it's like a big plus because they are also able to articulate better because they can see a design in front of them, right? They can see something which someone would be using in the near future, right? So it becomes easier for them to align and add an opinion as well. And that's that's how we usually try to, I wouldn't say convince, I would say collaborate into, into like a solution. It's It's all about involvement and like a design, a base design, kind of starts that conversation of inclusion and then a lot of opinions come in and yeah you you have to be very smart uh, it takes some time it takes some time uh, but you have to be smart about understanding what to filter in and what to filter out because remember we just spoke about agendas there are still a lot of agendas so uh, you have to take some hard calls as so and this this base respect is established over time in a team that, you know, this is a line we will not cross. As a company, we won't cross this line. As a designer, I won't cross this line. As a business person, I won't cross this line. So there are, everyone knows the limits of what they can and can't do, right? So there's a sense of ethics in what we build that way, in how we converse and collaborate. So usually it's not, it's not, a, it's not a big problem once we have these, once we have the show and tell base put together. Does that sort of answer your question? It does. I actually want to ask and say, what if it's a difficult feature or something like that? Okay, let's not talk in abstract. Can you give me probably a, a good understanding with a recent use case or a study, if if you can? Something that we can relate through a, a story or an example much more easily. Let's talk about something current. We're in a lockdown right now, right? What happens to a food delivery app when you go on lockdown? First things first, your your order counts go down. People are now suddenly very scared. Your supply chains are, you know, in a in a hazy place because uh, you don't know when a rest, uh, which restaurants to trust, which which to not, and restaurants themselves don't know how to stock and how how to, how to not what to buy, what not to buy at that point of time. So it's like a very weird place of flux, right? And at this point of time, we launch, uh, we understand that users are concerned about how food comes to them as well. So we launched a, we launched a feature called uh, no contact delivery, right? So the idea of a no contact delivery is uh, basically the fact, if you opt for a no contact delivery, the delivery executive basically comes and leaves the food at your door, at knocks your door, knocks the door and then leaves, right? Just rings the doorbell, leaves the food there and leaves and sends you a picture of the food. So, so that you don't have any contact and or touch point, right? Because you as a customer are scared. This person, there's a delivery partner who's basically taking a big risk upon himself, right? Exposing him. Obviously, we understand that users are concerned. So we launch this, uh, launch this, right? 
but then i recently wanted to think of another angle around it the fact that there is a delivery executive who is risking so much because it is a gig economy this is things which are very important to the to the delivery executive right they still have to make it make their daily wages so but in this world what can the user do beyond it's it feels very cold right the whole no contact delivery i am that kind of person who likes to order and you know i i like to actually engage and talk to my delivery executive at some point of time right but i i i can't do that anymore right because my safety is primordial so in this world how do we look at user responsibility right so i wanted to pitch user responsibility as a full charter which i thought we should look at what can the user do at at a time like this for your del- for your delivery executive for yourself and also for your restaurant partners how do you how do you understand this so again this this thought came in and but then i didn't really know how to pitch this at a time like this where you know our focus is actually on winning our users trust back imagine when you you want to you want to let your users know how hard you're working at that point of time you also ask them to start doing things in terms of like doing things for your d like maybe offer sanitizer or you know leave leave like a bottle of clean water it's hot outside right so these these sort of asks are big at this point so how do you convince people into buying into this idea so again like uh, i was surprised i was pleasantly surprised that I, the whole idea of show and tell worked right this is where my, my main aim always has been to go back to do, go back to the drawing board and do the do, do a show and tell give them a point of reference to start this conversation right and then you'll be surprised to know that i i was very surprised the moment i pitched this to my to my manager i got looped into a huge like set of people who are who are thinking right along the same lines right so i was so pleasantly surprised that we were actually that kind of company which thinks about all these all these factors so again the show and tell worked over there we, we started charting products we started developing more and more angles around it and we are actually looking at the responsibility which also falls upon the user right the restaurants are taking a huge responsibility they're doing massive audits and they're maintaining really high standards and safety there's a lot of restaurants who are taking massive efforts here. and delivery executives are risking their lives literally at this point of time so we can actually spin the narrative for our user now to also be empathetic to the situation and be real around it so this has been like a recent uh feature win i would not say feature win yet because we're still working on it but uh, this has been a recent uh, feature win which i'm very glad and what i've understood over time is that people are usually on the same page it's just the articulation is off right everyone has a different way to articulate it's not always a i have to convince you thing it's more of i have to trigger you in the right places right i have to give you an actionable i have to give you a sense of vision right that i would rather spend more time in that than trying to win that argument it's not about that one argument this is something i used to uh, mistake a lot very uh, earlier on in my career i used to be obsessed about winning a meeting like putting a point across in a meeting it's not about that it's about time it's also about you growing and charting you know a th- a product or a feature as you go so this is something like i've realized that people are usually usually in the room with best intentions 
it's about helping each other articulate things so show and tell and collaboration that is the argument that's the best argument for your future yeah that makes sense now that you've said that it's show and tell and collaboration can i ask you a drama question like go for it please <laughs> how much overlap do you have of thinking with a product manager and as being as a designer what is the overlap of thought process that you usually have a uh, lot of learning surprisingly i i'm surprised honestly at how 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 well you can actually maintain a wavelength with with your product again it's it's basically an outcome of just working very closely with each other right so you can actually start taking decisions for your product manager very often your product manager can also take some decisions with in your name like fairly often enough except for a font they can never ever take a decision on typography anything else they can feel free they can take my liver if they want but i will not let them let them take the visual design calls on my on my behalf but then yeah like from a product standpoint we are all building together right so we are speaking for each other very often right i i work with some product managers who i can trust in terms of going and doing a engineering handover right and it's it doesn't happen very often but yeah i do have i do work with people who have that sort of overlap then the the other way around also happens where i have to convince like let's say business my product manager is dependent on design to convince uh, like let's say business so that happens this sort of overlap happens very often it's like now people have understood that fine these are roles but when you're in hyper growth when you're growing at this pace when you're building and shipping at at a pace which is like pretty overwhelming you need to let people be free and like take these sort of decisions for each other right it brings out the best in everyone right more often than not it brings out the best because everyone feels very vested so it's that overlap is actually very good i mean that's a good thing because uh, as you said rightly pointed out right we are all working uh, towards the same thing and when that is the thing i don't think we should have you versus me or givens more like it should be like how do we build this together when you are actually now we spoke about the product teams and we work with research teams how do you actually gather those insights and utilize them into design i'm not looking for like a case study example i just want to understand your thought process little more on that side so this learning has been very new to me it's like only after swiggy did i understand uh, the there there are different types of research which you drive for different sort of briefs so not every every brief which you work on requires that you do your user interviews and you start calling users calling users over and like go make them go through prototypes and things like not every type of research like that so i realized that you there are there's enough enough and more times where you just need to look at data right my hypothesis based on it then you're looking at legacy like you sometimes the best research could come from you talking to the designer who has been building that product for 2 years right that kind of mind share which that designer is able to give you is priceless right so you use mastercard to buy them drinks and you get priceless information out of that right so that was really bad i'm so sorry quarantine is <laughs> no not really you're right no mastercard can buy insights ending deal no there's no royalty here also like i don't think mastercard will ever give a damn about what we just said 
No, they won't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, there's also a gambit of research where you take, you build product prototypes, you take them to to your researchers, and then they they understand what type of user should see this. They under they have a great pulse in user buckets. Bucketing of user uh, users is something which designers miss out very often, but researchers understand this very well. And when you're building a product which is very diverse, like it's a one size fits all product. you need to understand these sort of user buckets bucketing is something i've really picked up from by working with researchers and uh, yeah so there are different types of research and i let the researcher drive that for me right and yeah there's also a lot of heartbreak but it is the ultimate truth right you would rather a researcher comes and tells you that something is not working as opposed to you launching some product based on hypothesis right and watch it watch it day in and day out explode on your face right so that way research is like create a firewall which you install in your team so okay and that's going to be a t-shirt yes let's do it <laughs> let's do that now you've spoken about research being an awesome firewall now also visual design is something that people tend to you know have they want these skills as well on both ends businesses need both these skills to perform the best so that the best solution is delivered to the market right so how much of visual design sir should a designer know or is there a right amount or is something that can be put together with just some good guidelines in a company how does this work out uh i think this this is a question i don't know why but it's making a lot of designers feel very insecure and paranoid now right the ability to do visual design it's so i have a very simple premise right that you have to play to your strengths right if you are if visual design is your core strength you play to your strength right if research is your core strength you play to play to that strength so visual design should not be like a definite it should not be definitive of you or like someone who might have, who might be you know fairly okay in terms of visual design or not very great in terms of visual design might be insanely good in like let's say design ops right or uh, building core ux right or deep dive in like these complex problems where there's like lot of heavy like data data handling so where, like that's a priceless skill right why would you waste that person's mind share on uh, doing something like visual design at that point so my entire premise has been that you play for strength having said that my idea around visual design has always been like look back to what what is what is design all about it's about clarity right if if your focus is clarity right if your focus is to make sure that you can you know a project clarity or make sure that they build things with in a clear way then visual design is just a, a, a small side effect of you having this benchmark of clarity right so it's just a small outcome amongst other things so you'll have if you think clearly you'll you'll also be able to build a clear ux right and if you if you build a clear ux you will all you'll also be able to understand what is important in terms of visualizing that clear ux so the outcome is you have you have something with clean clean and clear visual design and you have clean and clear ux so it's just that it's a small side effect also honestly so my question is also something that i think we need to define what visual design also means right 
like you you made sense when you said that visual design should be clean and it the, it gives the product clarity and moves the direction a little more does it mean that your in the definition of what you say interaction information and you know finally the visual design is all taken care in one place so that you know the person that who is going to obviously the customer is going to see that screen is able to go through the workflows very easily and all of those things so what is that right or do you have a better definition of these things uh, again it changes product to product right mm-hmm. if i'm building like let's say something like a cab bill, cab bill, cab booking app right there my visual design is all about function right my job is to make sure that the my my clarity which which i'm chasing over there is for the user to be able to book a cab as soon as possible right so there that's the benchmark i have to put on visual design right but if i'm let's say like building an engagement tool right like let's say like ola play was an engagement right there the the whole premise of visual design to was to be immersive right there what i was chasing was immersiveness so i wanted to make sure that the user does not have to look anywhere else except the tablet so like we had to double down and like go crazy on in terms of making sure that the visual design is extremely immersive right as a, and even in an immersive visual design you need to make sure that there's clarity right here it's ease of use in the in the world of booking a cab it's ease of use so that's the clarity of chasing here it's immersiveness so that's the clarity of chasing here so visual design changes based on like what you're building okay. the benchmark you put the outcome which you need to drive changes based on like what you're trying to build at that that reminds me of a question where how the design is when you are in a early stage startup or a growth stage startup or a unicorn startup like all said and done the companies that you work shape the design that you actually do like the clarity that you talked about so many of them i mean not many of them many of us have actually looked at uh, design from all the big ones like google and apple or any of the airbnbs and of course now in india we have ola swiggy and all of these things like when that is a scenario how would a designer who's entering into the field be able to differentiate and make choices on which company to choose from or you know what is the basic difference in these companies mm-hmm. so one thing i've been very lucky about uh, throughout my career is the companies i've gone through they understood the value design drives right so like i didn't have to prove myself in any way like i had better people before me who had done that in a big way all we had to do was just keep meeting that benchmark and re upping that benchmark and but then the big advantage we had was that we were already in a place which is expecting that off off of us right but early stage startups are not necessarily aware this i've noticed that early stage startups are chasing very different dreams that they're chasing survival right they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow what's what's going to happen the day after and in this world you can't be the designer who goes and says no this button has to be just right with like three point radius all that you can't do that at that point of time you need to understand what that designer what value the designer is going to bring at the, for, for a company at that stage right then there's the growth stage startup like ola was in the growth stage when i went into that's where we were building so many new initiatives so the, basically the curve i've noticed in a lot of uh, 
heavy in operations uh, companies is that first you're uh, trying to set up like what the house is right then you're trying to understand these rooms which are building in the house like let's say that's where you start diversifying your product a little bit in that same space so ola tried to do a lot of products around it like uh, those those ola your core business was the cars and you know mini micro and prime then they built a host of products around it right there was share carpooling there was uh, shuttle there was autos autos are like driving a huge number of uh, rides over there right now then the idea the thought process of you know keeping people engaged during your cab ride came and that's why play happened then coming up with better uh, better you know when you uh, ola realized that they uh, there's a big carbon footprint to what your what this business is so that's why electric became like a big bet so that's the growth stage i would say where they understand they want to start building these other brackets right and in swiggy the growth stage was us understanding where else can we diversify so the first stage of the startup was to know that we are going to be our differentiation will be with great operations right so the focus was to build really great operations and then what do you, what do you do uh, then the growth curve hits and that's when you want to understand fine now i have great operations and i have a great sense of where these operations could go now where do i start apply, applying that in terms of driving more value to my user that's why you try and come up with other businesses you try and look at what else you can do with this in your asking so that was swiggy's you know growth stage then eventually you understand which of these experiments work for you which of these don't you cut your losses you double down on things which are which are doing well for you and you start setting up a more established house so that's what ola is doing now right like this they're setting up a very very established house of what really works for them they understood that electric was a big was a big bet and they understood that this is worth chasing right so i was part of that pilot i remember i remember the the whole conversation around electric and how we did the narrative and i under, i know exactly how big a deal it was for the company and i'm i'm so happy to see that it's a, it's a company on of its on its own now like so like uh, when when we're in the growth stage companies don't companies are taking these big risks but they don't want to really go crazy with these products just yet right so when we built ola play it was a 40% team when we did a electric pilot it was again like a 20 30% team right and today these are companies within companies ola electric is a company of its own which is which is not to the and plays like a big powerhouse on its own right so these are this is what happens when you understand that this works for you and you start doubling down on it so this is how the business works now how does design fit into all this right again in an early stage company you need to know the realities the ground realities like i would urge like non design folk who are who are like startup founders or you know heavily involved in these early stage startups to make sure that their designer is invested in the in the actual reality right often times the designer themselves don't real like we we love doing this right we love sitting in our own shell right not being exposed to much we love that whole world of cushiness where we're sitting peacefully on pinterest and behance and like dribble and all that but like knowing what's happening around you is something which 
is very very important in an early stage startup if you are in an early stage startup and in a when you are in a growth stage startup you are exposed to all this anyway you are always collaborating heavily with people outside of you right so you're going to get exposed to all this anyway these reality checks are going to keep happening to you anyway and in this growth stage this is where design is pivotal like i, I want to go back to how we spoke about visioning right in a growth stage startup that's very very important design is bringing that ability for people to visualize where this where this company could be in a few in a few weeks in a few months right so that's the role design is playing you're understanding your business you're creating product product charters you're eventually creating you know full new lines of business for your company right so design needs to be very aware of that impact you're getting getting to chart right basically so that's the importance of designer a designer in that space you your ability to envision right and in a unicorn your in a in a place i, I wouldn't say unicorn like even a growth stage startup can be a unicorn right in a more established setup you have the luxury to basically sit and dive deep into your products you know that these are your company short pets you know that these are products which your company will definitely set up for success so how do you bring in, how do you add value to that right your this is where your constant iterative mind comes into play so this is where this is what a designer is doing in like let's say a place like google or microsoft like in places like this where they know exactly what to what to bring in yeah that that helps yeah um i just want to ask another question like as you mentioned very clearly the designer should know their context and if we do not know our context we wouldn't be able to contribute enough into the whole system right mm-hmm. the growth stage you will contribute there's no option for you you're going to go ahead and probably as you mentioned in a more established setup you have an option to leave it or you can see where to contribute and you have that like for example at any stage you have to make a certain decisions right i know that there is no clear rule that this is the kind of decisions you have to make in a design so if nothing is set and if we are figuring out everything from scratch how do we make those decisions hmm. that's interesting actually if you think about it you're never doing anything from scratch there's always a point of reference there's always a start to a conversation so again it's your base from your base character right which you hone over time you know doing design is it comes earlier it starts with the, with a sense of curiosity right that's not enough anymore so your sense you being curious can not could lead you places could not lead you places but you chasing purpose and like relevance in terms of what impact you would be able to cause that is something which will which will just equip you for any any kind of problem right right whether it's an early stage problem right there if you are if you have a sense of purpose to make sure that this you are very very involved and part of how this startup sees tomorrow or day after right or the next funding round or the next product launch there your then how you look at your design briefs become very different you become very accommodative of some things you become very very at that point and that same thing applies for a growth stage as well how do you cause impact because the bet is huge bet is so huge there's so much uh, 
manpower there's so many other minds so many mind shares and there's also so much shared responsibility in that room right so how do you how do you like put your best foot forward there right so it's more about that relevance that quest for relevance and like impact that itself should drive all your decisions it's like more of it's not even a design ethic it's a work ethic i would feel right that this is what you need to to be able to kind of this is the approach i would ideally want to have about everything now that you mentioned impact i want to know what is your definition of impact i mean the definition changes right uh, as you grow in your career like and as your business grows also right uh, i know for a fact that there was a there was a time where swiggy celebrated doing 100 orders right and today 100 is like what happens in seconds right so this thing changes like what what this impact is changes but again like your quality of impact is something which which i would i would say would be something which is definitive of how you work right the quality of impact you want to have the kind of impact you want to have that kind of it's good. like my definition of impact would be purpose right like it you you made sure that you set out to do something to do right by some people and you're able to do right by them that's the ideal definition of impact right the metrics around that is not set by you the scale around that is not set by you you're a facilitator of of all these things right so you being able to do do this for like people like and you know actuate an actual change and making someone's life easier that is definite impact that's that's what we impact junkies are chasing anyway right all of us anyone who's in like you know getting into design is not is not necessarily getting into it for aesthetic we would be making art then we're not making art right we are getting into it because we want to be able to build and shape things so that's my definition of impact i guess at this point in time you've shared your definition of impact is it dependent on uh, the organization or uh, a type of organization whether it's a startup or an enterprise i don't think it is dependent right it's how much responsibility you take in i want to hear your perspective on that it's it's both right a lot of it is definitely dependent on the on the company you're working with right mm-hmm. because the company is the one which is giving you that opportunity which is putting you in that place which also understands better understands you often times they your company understands you better than you understand yourself right and they put you into these into these scenarios where you're able to you know make something out of it without even knowing whether you would be you'd be able to make, do something or not but having said that this the other side of that coin is your responsibility to to that to that situation you can choose to be super involved or you can choose to not be very involved right so this is where your design ethic comes at what point of time do you say you know what this is my job i will i will change this color here five times not not more than five times and that's it i'm done for the day or do you do you choose to say you know what bro like like i'm totally vested like let like let's do this so this is again like where your design ethic comes in so it it is two parts your company needs to gratify you in the in the right way in terms of stimulating the right kind of output out of you right and it's a circle right you your your company triggers you you contribute then your company triggers you again you uh, you know you contribute to that occasion so that's that's how it is it's if you think about it it's it's a very blue collar job right 
we might wear wacky t-shirts because we are allowed to but it is the responsibility which comes in like this is this is what it is like this is the job so your company is responsible and you need to be as responsible you know as your company or if not more at that point of time they saying that the uh, it's basically impact is two sides of the same coin it depends on both of them yeah that makes sense the parasitic of each other the company and <laughs> that is true right that is true end of the day right if, like if you life. are yeah so a lot of people have this question that uh, i should be i want to be a part of these companies like swiggy and ola and all of them and that's the thing right they want to join these companies and they're like how can i get a job at such companies do you have any rule book playbook that you can share yeah i mean like it's there's no rule book as such here, honestly like the only rule like i tried to actuate uh, into our hiring is that you know all candidates must have watched star wars before they apply but it's uh, it's a very dicey rule to pick right because there's just too many movies <laughs> but apart from that actually i think the ideal candidate should be able to show value to that team to that business right like uh, i've seen a lot of candidates who have interviewed who really have a great sense of what swiggy is and what they could do for swiggy right there are a lot of these candidates who know exactly like who who have taken the effort in terms of doing the homework and understanding what they bring into that system. right so they have a very strong sense of self right and they know how to play to their strengths right and they know how to articulate that very well for that company right so that's what i've noticed even with some really great hires in ola that they knew exactly what what that company needed at what point of time and how they would be able to help right so candidates now that's a problem right like if if you think about it like let's say someone comes to you and show showcases like a project they worked on which has no context to what you do right as a business which has no context to what you do as opposed to someone who comes to you with a project case study which has a sense which kind of gives you a which you are able to connect to something you are building in your organization as well right so obviously this new candidate has a upper hand on the other one that other person might have done a really great project but they have to take a take an extra effort in terms of bringing you up to speed right as opposed to this candidate who has done their homework and who knows exactly how to trigger you right so they don't need to bring you up to speed in any way so that is something i've realized that like is is great when candidates do they understand that this is a kind of company where this is a skill set which i bring in they have a strong sense of self so it's great it sounds like a cheat code but we will figure out the cheat code little more no so again like the interpretation of this is not let like you do hypothetical case studies which are just you know colored in like a, a different branding of that company right yeah it's mm-hmm. basically being able to have a conversation with that with these companies if you really want to chase it you would make a good pitch out right mm. how does an investor go to a i mean how does a startup founder go to a good an investor like yeah. a pitch right everything is a pitch your pro- your portfolio is you pitching your sense of self it's an mm. extension of you right it is a visible organ which you're putting out there yeah so you would rather make make that like the best pitch you can 
Yes. Yeah. As opposed to something which is so obsessively you. Okay, that makes sense. Now, if I'm a designer who is zero to one years or three years or something, what should I do to grow in this space? Work like work like crazy. Chasing chasing problems and understanding where you're not. This is something I really wish I did earlier on, right? I just ended up trying to do everything, right? And it really like burnt you out in ways you did not want to be burnt out. Like, uh, and this goes on for months, and it takes a big personal toll. You're in a place where you're just obsessively working all the time without seeing any results, right? But in that, and this happens to only to early stage designers, right? And it either makes or breaks them because you just burn out, right? You you develop this thing of just doing everything and because you just want to get exposed to everything and startups are very vicious that way they if if there's a designer out there sitting and willing to do everything they will exploit that right so and designers need to know how to guard guard against that right so in that first two years you need to understand what you like to do right what you think is getting the best out of you and then you just double down like this is why this is why i i uh, specifically said that visual design is not a is not a must have skill you have to chase all the time right you might just be a great researcher and you might discover this only in the early stage of your career it's better to discover these things about you earlier on in your career as opposed to much later because when you are a designer with 0 to 2 years experience you are literally clay right you are literally being molded you are you, like it's it's playground time so that's you like you should be really ideally a, a, a zero to two your experience designer is like i'm jealous of like these people man like they have like their whole world, you know life ahead of them and like uh, and startup age you really really quickly you know this one right like yeah i know this yes right so two years is very important those two years are crucial like um, if there was a time machine like you could like i would just stay there as long as you can you know like <laughs> we need to get dr ho back yeah so there was a drama question on how much, how is the pay like at these companies would you like to answer that i mean it's it's okay i guess it's good enough but uh, greed is good i guess but my premise around around money has just been that you like you need to make enough money to not think about money right because once a company does write write or write enough by you in some way and it's not just money when you go into it because like money is what it's it's going to dictate like let's say it's going to equate to some sort of lifestyle right which you will get used to anyway whether you are making little money or like okay money or good money like you will get used to a certain lifestyle after that what right after that we are in ours is a generation which spends a lot of time working right and we are very very invested we have picked and chosen our jobs right the picked and worked really hard to specifically choose the kind of jobs we so there's a lot of other things which come into play apart from money here. right it's what that company is doing for you so it's how that company gratifies you how that com- how that manager or mentor which you make 
into the in these companies understands you and shapes shapes your work around you so these are things which you can't equate with just money right so fine pay pay is important i'm not i'm definitely not the kind of person who will say pay is not i will not tell anyone to go and work for work for anyone for free but then here's the thing you draw a line right you at some point of time need to say you know what this is okay this is like money now i need to stop thinking about money i've thought about money enough now i should stop thinking about money that's at some point of time we need to say that so uh, this is like I, that's my premise yeah like you just you just need to make enough money to not think about it after that because once yeah. your company is trying to do right by you right mm-hmm. in so many places this is something i learned uh, from my first you know product design mentor like sunit is this kind of person who had that thought process that you know what i will promise this growth for you right and that growth was not just a financial it was also in terms of uh, you know the kind of work i got exposed to the kind of people i started working with right? now that is growth which you can like you're you're working constantly with like iit iim grads you are working constantly with like the best you know design minds right which has been brought into the mix searched and picked and cho- chosen from everywhere right it's great like these are experiences which you can't put money you can't attach money to right and after some point how much can you even spend in a brewery right like <laughs> So know how much you drink. Code bases that <laughs> priorities are very clear. It's just a... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I've always had it like a min max thing. So how much is the minimum that I can run my life with? And if I have agreed, it's the max which I put it as like say fifty percent or sixty percent because I know that it's a cost center, right? If you are very expensive. you are going to go you are first to the axe because you are the most expensive asset to the company exactly exactly yeah. so you'd rather you'd rather like make sure that you spend a lot of time focusing on you being relevant to your to your company right as opposed to you just like yeah. trying to trying to exploit a company at like one point of time you'd rather focus all your efforts in making sure that you are relevant and core to your company's day to day as opposed to that one off win right yeah so mm-hmm. this is how like designers should be looking at money at that point yeah. of time yeah. and like here's the thing right like there are all these other things which you have to grow in we don't realize that these are important but like it dictates and it charts what the year ahead is going to be or the two years ahead or three years ahead because now company when you get into a company it's a relationship right you you need to weather it out with you, you are weathering things out with that company like together so it's the equation of day to day is beyond money money comes in once a month after that what after that how do you grow it it's completely up to you how do you actually invest it is completely up to you yeah that makes sense actually we are at the end but there's a bonus question would you like to answer yeah please go for it so now there are new trends like ar vr conversational bots etc so how should you know we be prepared for that as designers and what are the newer trends are you going to see in the market yeah. so i mean it's pretty interesting again it's it's basis what's relevant to your business right like i know for a fact that vr would not would not necessarily be like a big uh, add on to 
like a swiggy type of ecosystem where it's all, where it's about food but augmented reality could actually be solving a lot of use cases for us right we could actually give users a sense of what that food is going to be before it even comes to them right it's so uh, augmented reality would be so much more powerful than like let's say uh, a photograph which we use or like a motion video which we use so like that's where augmented uh, things like you know any future trend is is about building that sort of relevance or context to in context to that business right like vr has not necessarily kicked off anywhere but then like let's look at it in the gaming context like in the gaming context a vr uh, a vr kit can keep me hooked for like hours on it right now that's that's what vr does it immerses ar is all about functionality or like it solves some sort of functionality vr solves immersiveness so these are these two trends over there and there's enough and more tech that's the beauty of where we are right now right? there are people dabbling in so much technology that it's just about you understanding how which power, which piece of tech is relevant to you right and if you are that person in the room who understands how we could use that in terms of what you are what you do in your day to day that itself is like a big plus yeah so you meant to say that understand the tech enjoy it but apply it in context and actually see if it makes sense to you yeah i mean if if you want to make something of that tech yes or else the, all this tech is going to exist anyway it's a train which has left the station and it's keep going to go you know it's going yeah. to go. so it's about how you kind of board the train when and understand when to get off so it's that if somebody is considering uh, a ux career what would be your your note to them so it's it's great it's a lot of fun having said that companies are growing at a tremendous pace now right and people are really deriving value out of it there's a fundamental sense of creation entrepreneurship has come in you know big way people really want to solve problems now right yeah and, uh, it's a great time for a designer right to do meaningful work ux is actually being uh, now able to do very very meaningful work you get to i don't like it's it's one of those jobs where you get to go back home saying you know what like there was some sense of purpose in my day i was able to do this it's not just a color i changed but it's something which impacted like let's say so many people so ux is like a great you know feel all on its own you're, you're building things with this kind of impact so it's a great time for people to get into ux and uh, but having said that it's also uh, a bubble which has burst recently wherein people are coming in from everywhere everyone is getting into ux so here this is where you need to understand the fundamental principle of why you're doing this you're doing this because you want to do right by a lot of people right so like it's it's one of those great power great responsibility kicks right so it's 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 pretty cool that it is like that so this is how you should look at it there is a huge responsibility attached to what you're coming in it's it's great it's a lot of fun right but there is a huge responsibility to how you do these things the companies in india where you know your ecosystems are very closely closely tied together right so what impact you what you try to make for like let's say one type of user is actually not being experienced by just one type of user it's being experienced by millions of types of users right so we need to be really cognizant and aware there's a great responsibility in what you're building 
right? And design as a whole has been fairly young in the world, even even younger in 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 India. So you are also charting the course for people, you know, ahead from people before you, and you're also charting, setting a benchmark for people after you. So there's a lot of uh, you know uh, responsibility on people who are coming into design, coming into UX now. So, but having said that, it's a lot of fun. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm.